0: Hi there, it's Beth, and welcome back to the podcast. There are over 60 episodes in the two seasons of the Daughters Without Moms podcast, and I have many new followers on social media. Therefore, I thought it would be a good time to share my story of being a daughter without a mom again. Please go to Instagram or Facebook for a more in-depth introduction. But this podcast has been such a big part of my own grief journey. And I really appreciate you listening. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple Podcasts, can you please go to the show and leave a rating and review? I'd really appreciate it. And now, my story. Hey everyone, it's Beth. Figured it's time for me to share my story from beginning to end, since so many of you have been so brave and shared your stories. And I have to tell you, I'm probably experiencing a lot of the things that you were feeling when you were getting ready to uh, get on Zoom with me and share your stories. I have been procrastinating all day, reorganizing junk drawers and doing all kinds of things in procrastination of this recording. So I feel your feelings and I know how hard it is to uh, be vulnerable and share our stories, but I believe that since I'm four months into recording this podcast that it's time for me to join the club with you and be vulnerable and share mine so here we go my mom's name was seal Uh, she was born in 1944 and so 44 was always our special number because my sister was born on April 4th so mom was 44 and Amy was 44 and that was always our special special number together I was born on Long Island in New York, and when I was two, we moved to Maine. We stayed there for five years. Um, My mom had a stillborn daughter after me. She was born in Maine. Her name was Regina, um, and she is buried in Maine. In 1977, five years after living in Maine, we moved to Illinois. My mom didn't like living in Maine. I think it was a little too rural for her. And her parents were there, and she had a strained relationship with her parents. And I believe my dad worked a lot and being at home with two small kids, two small girls. And probably after burying a child, I think she probably had a difficult time. So we moved to Illinois in 1977. I was seven years old, and my parents separated in 1978, 4th of July, 1978. I can specifically remember that day that my dad left and moved Um to Key West, Florida. So for 4 years Amy and I would go stay with dad during Christmas and for a week or a month or 2 months during the summer. When we got a little older we went and stayed longer. And in 1982 Amy and I decided well we should go live with dad cuz we, you know, spent the first 4 years of their separation and divorce living with mom and we should go live with dad. So in 1982 we made all the arrangements to go Live with dad in Key West and registered for school and all of the things. And of course, we tried to change our mind at the last minute. Sounded fun, but we were leaving the comfort of mom and the friends and house that we had in Illinois and tried to change our mind, but to no avail because arrangements had been made, school had been registered. And to be honest, I believe my mom was probably ready for a break. She had gone straight into nursing school and then got married right out of nursing school. So I believe she moved straight from her parents' home into being um, into her married home. And so after everything she'd been through, Looking back on it now as an adult myself, I think she probably was like, no, you're going. And she was ready for a break, which was totally understandable. So in August of 1982, Amy and I moved and went to live with dad. And that spring of 1983, my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and was given six months to live. So the plan was, was that Amy and I were going to finish out our school year until, you know, the first of June. And then go pick up mom and bring her back to Key West. Uh, Mom and dad had ended their relationship amicably, and mom loved being in Florida. She loved the sunshine and the water. And so the plan was to bring her to Florida um, for the time that she had left. Well, if you know pancreatic cancer, you know that it's a very aggressive disease. She was struggling with the disease, and my grandparents actually went to Illinois and moved my mom to Maine. I think against medical advisement because she wasn't in too great of shape to fly, but they flew her across the country and took her back to Maine and put her into the hospital there. So Amy and I had plans to fly to Maine, spend some time there with mom until she got well enough to travel again and then bring her back to Florida. Unfortunately, the night before we got there, my mom went into a semi coma. So We never really got to have any cognizant, coherent time with her in person. We had talked on the phone, but I don't think we had any real deep conversations because we anticipated being together in person. Uh, But by the time we got there, she was not in great shape. Um, And so I do remember when Amy and I arrived at the hospital, she was definitely disoriented and was trying to get out of bed so that she could make a cake because Amy and I were there. I remember that. So she continued to deteriorate. We were staying at my grandparents' house and we would go to the hospital twice a day. And the hospital was about an hour one way from my grandparents' house. So we would drive for an hour, stay for a while, drive an hour home, and then do it again in the afternoon. And we did that for a couple of weeks. And then Amy and I talked and said, you know, this is really hard to watch your mom suffer like that. And by that point, she was know, skin and bones and was struggling to breathe. And it was really difficult to see her in that kind of condition. So we talked to our grandparents and said, you know, we really would like to just go once a day. It's hard to see her that way. And, um, you know, we think we would be okay with just seeing her once a day. She doesn't, you know, at that time, we didn't know whether she knew we were there or not. Um, But it was, it was harder on us then it was, I think, a benefit for mom for us to be there. So we said we only wanted to go once a day. And they told us that as long as we were living under their roof, we could follow their rules and do the things, things the way that they said they would be done, or we could get out. We could leave their house. So my sister and I left. We had family friends who lived in the area from when we had lived in Maine ourselves, and we called them and they picked us up and we went and stayed at their home with them and obviously since we knew the grandparents schedule we decided to go to the hospital at times when we knew they weren't there and we went once a day I think maybe it was about a week and we got a call from a doc the doctor one day who said mom had a fever and that if it went up at all she would most likely die. And so we decided not to go that day. And she did, in fact, pass on that day, June 27th, 1983. So my dad came up to Maine and my sister, my dad, and I, and the family friends that we were staying with went to mom's funeral altogether. It was just a memorial service because my grandfather, they had her cremated and my grandfather was burying her himself because he was like the groundskeeper at the church or whatever. So it was just a memorial service. And we had gone to church uh, with my grandparents as kids. They were pretty much the only people who had exposed us to religion and taken us to church. And I remember when we arrived at the church, the church had probably 10 to 15 steps leading leading up to the entrance. And they were standing out there greeting people as they arrived. And as the five of us walked up the steps, They turned their backs and walked into the church and sat down and never greeted us, never hugged us, never said a word to us. The memorial service finished. We all stood up and walked out, and that was it. Never, never had any sort of interaction with my grandparents again. I, I, yeah, we'll we'll get to more on that later. So uh, we went back to Florida, and then my sister and I had to go to Maine and pack up my mom's house in Maine after my grandparents had gone through and gotten what they wanted. We were allowed to go and pack up anything that we wanted. And looking back on that now, Amy and I, we were, my sister and I were put into a lot of an adult situations. Okay. I was 13. She was 16. We traveled by ourselves back to Illinois. I don't even know how we got from the airport to our house in Maine in Illinois. I have no idea, but um, we were there by ourselves, packing up the house and going through things and doing things. So by that time, it was probably the end of the summer and you go back to school. And that's just not something that comes up in conversation very lightly that, you know, oh, my mom died this summer. Also, because I was on- it was only my second year at school in Key West. So whoever I was friends with, you know, probably wasn't really extremely close. Plus 13 is such an awkward age anyways with tough things to talk about and you're maturing and your body's changing and all that kind of stuff. So I don't believe I ever talked about it a whole lot. Sister and I got really close because we were basically, you know, the two in it together. So the next year in 1984, my dad remarried. He was already dating Becky when, when mom died because mom and dad were divorced. And so I do have a stepmother, Becky, who has, has been In my life since 1984 that I'm extremely grateful for. So then, you know, you move on with your life without a mom and graduated from high school, went to college, met my husband, got married, did all the things. And, you know, there's definitely parts of my life where things would come up missing my mom. Uh, But I think it really hit me again when I became a mom myself. Really made me think about the relationship from a different point of view. I started putting myself into my mom's shoes and thinking about what she probably went through as she knew she was dying and leaving two daughters behind. That must have been so hard for her. The other thing was that I never, we never knew where mom was buried. We went back to Maine a couple of times and could never find a headstone for her. And that was wearing on me too. I was really, it's, it's some sort of element of closure with that. I think the burial itself is that, but even then just being able to see a grave in, in person is some sort of, I think, part of the, the closure process as well. So, and I was going through everything, processing the relationship with my grandparents. Um, I was very angry at them and God for quite a long time. And I started going to church with my husband when we got married and moved to Pennsylvania. And it was really the first time I felt kind of welcomed and interested because the people, it was just very relevant. The content that they were talking about was relevant to me. The fam- my husband's family was just such great people. And I really just kind of wanted to know more of what that was about. So I started going to church and for the first time, didn't feel like I was being judged or, um, you know, held, held at a different standard because I didn't grow up that way. That was a lot of my own limiting beliefs I had put in my head that, you know, you had to be a certain way or do things a certain way or know all the names in the Bible, which are really, really hard to pronounce, to be able to say that you belonged. But I wasn't treated that way. So I attended the membership class. Um, we are of the Mennonite religion, and Mennonites believe in baptism at the age of accountability, so that means you decide when you're ready to be baptized. So I was in an adult membership class and got to the end of it and decided, you know, I just wasn't ready. I still had so many of those boundaries I had put up on myself of things I had to overcome to be able to say, yes, I believed, and yes, I was worthy. And I went into the membership class a second time, and at this point, they uh, someone encouraged me to write a letter to my grandparents. And the thing I certainly appreciate most about that whole process is that I don't know if you've ever gone through anything like this, but I literally was just, I just wanted somebody to tell me, it's okay, you can go ahead and do it. It's okay. Go ahead. It's okay. And they didn't. Uh, that's one of the things about Anabaptist religion is that it has to be your decision And I'm really, really am grateful for that. So here we are, 18 years later, I have a a three-year-old and a like six-month-old and I decide to write this letter to my grandparents. So I actually have a copy of it. It's dated December 19th, 2001 and I'm just gonna read parts of it to you. Dear Julia and John, I don't know if this letter will reach you or not, but I have the need to write to you after all of these years. It's been over 18 years since mom died, and a lot of good things have happened in my life. But one area where I still struggle is in my faith journey. I believe a lot of these obstacles in my faith comes from mom, come from mom's death and what happened between me and you, my grandparents. You were the only people who had ever taken Amy and I to church, and I appreciate that you did that for us. But then mom died and you threw us out of your house and ultimately out of your lives. Especially now that I'm a mother myself, I will probably never understand why you did what you did. Even if you did hate my dad that much, we were still the only living thing you had left for mom. But after all of these years of feeling anger and hurt and confusion over the whole thing, I want to let it go. I don't want it to interfere with my spiritual journey anymore. I don't want to hold God responsible for your actions. And I don't want to feel anger towards you anymore. So I want you to know that I forgive you and how you treated me when mom died. I'm going to have to believe that you did what you did out of love for her because she was your daughter. And now I know what a strong bond that is. The truth is, after all these years, I really don't even know you anymore. And I'm sorry that you have not been a part of our lives. Believe it or not, we turned out pretty good. So then I give some, you know, kudos of things that my sister and I are doing. And at the end, I put, I miss my mom more than you will ever know. I think she is proud of both Amy and I because we've done well, even though we've been through a lot. I do wish we would have been able to remain in contact because there are a lot of questions I still have. One is that we have been back to Maine three times and have never been able to find mom's grave. If you could please let me know where she is, I would appreciate it. There are many times I would like to have flowers put on her grave and have been unable to send them. I hope you have been able to forgive us for whatever we did to make you not want us in your lives. And so then I reached out to a couple of family members. There was only a couple left on my mom's side and found out that both of my grandparents had already passed. But that was okay because the letter writing process was the healing that I needed to let go of that anger and resentment that I held against them for so long. So then I asked my dad to take us to Maine to try to find mom's grave. And so my dad was living in Las Vegas at the time. Amy was in Miami, and I was in Pennsylvania. And the three of us went, and we went the day after Amy's 35th birthday in um, 2002. And we found mom's grave, and she's actually buried beside my stillborn sister. Uh, So the two of them are there together, buried together in Maine. And knowing that and being able to visualize uh, the two of them there together, In this cemetery that overlooks the river on the coast of Maine there just helps me, helps helps a lot in the grieving process. So this is why grace is one of my pillars of growing with grief. I believe that you have to learn how to give and receive grace. Because to be honest, who was the person who was hurting the most from me holding that grudge for 18 years? it was me. How did I receive grace? By forgiving them, by letting go of the power their actions had over me. Do you think that they spent 18 years thinking about it? I don't think so. So there is grace in letting go. There's a quote that I like that says, holding on to resentment is like taking poison and waiting for them to die. And I have to say, it's not that I will ever forget that experience. I certainly won't. I can recount it with lots of details that there's other aspects of my childhood that I can't remember at all. So it's not about forgetting, but it's about forgiving and letting go of that resentment and that anger. Another quote that I love is from Lily Tomlin. She says, forgiveness means giving up all hope for a better past. And that's basically what I did for 18 years. I was hoping for something to be different about that whole situation. And I couldn't. I had no control over that. To be honest, I still don't understand why they did what they did. We were the only grandchildren that they had. My mom had a brother, uh, but he never married nor had kids. And they were really never close to him. Even I remember that from 40 years ago, that they never really had a strong relationship with their son. So, we were the only ones left of their daughter. I really probably won't ever understand it, but like I said, I'm no longer going to let their actions control my present and my future. I can't undo the past, but I can look forward with a different lens. And that's what I'm choosing to do. And that's probably the biggest part of my loss of my mom is then going through that with my grandparents. So, first of all, when you're 13 years old and you lose your mom. You do walk around with all sorts of thoughts of why me? Why is she gone? Why did this happen? And there's a whole podcast that I did on platitudes that people say things, well, God has a plan and he must've needed her more than you. Uh, Well, no, that doesn't make sense when you're 13 years old. Mm -hmm. So you already have this feeling of why am I being punished? Why is this happening to me? And then the actions from my grandparents, I mean, that just piled on to that feeling that I carried around for so long. I had this feeling of constantly being left behind. And that's why I believe that grace is just so important. It's so important to your own personal journey. And it's a big part of why I'm doing what I'm doing now, creating the Daughters Without Moms groups on Instagram and Facebook and this podcast. I think the more that we share our stories and just say these things out loud, I know that I'm forgiven, I know that I am loved, and I know that I am worthy. But that took a long, long time. So I want you to know that it's not easy, that it is hard, and that it takes time. But it is possible. And the other side of that is that when we live in that Under that cloud and that shadow of all that judgment and that shame and that anger isn't living like that hard. It was for me. So doing the work is hard, but then there's healing and growth on the other side. Like I have said a lot, I don't believe you ever get over grief, but I think that you can learn to live with it and learn how to give yourself grace to continue to grow with your grief. So that's a portion of my story with mom. It's a lot of it. The three lessons that I want you to take from my story is first of all, don't believe the stories in your head. I told myself for so long that I just couldn't be lovable and that I wasn't worthy and that I kept being left behind. And when you tell yourself those things long enough, you start to believe that they're true, but your thoughts are not always true. And it's one of the few things that we do have control of. The second thing I'd like for you to take away from this story is how important it is to share your story with others. Saying it out loud can be therapeutic. Saying it out loud can help you identify those parts that aren't true. Saying it out loud 38 years later can make you think about things from a different perspective that you hadn't thought of before. If you're comfortable, I would encourage you to share your story. And I'd love to hear it. The third lesson I'd like for you to take from my story is about self-love. When you have a difficult journey, it can be easy for you to turn on yourself. Because loving yourself is hard, especially in the culture that we live in. There are so many standards of perfection and busyness and all the the checkboxes that need to be checked off for your life to be considered complete. But don't use our society's yardstick of success. Find out what's important to you. Find your own values and things that make life important to you. When you lose a major person in your life, you definitely have a change in your identity. And it's up to us to find out what our identity is without that person in our lives. If you liked this episode or you are a fan of the show, the best way to support it is to share it on social media and with your family and friends. For more of my thoughts on the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. As always, remember, we can use grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with our grief.